0: Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. I was thinking this morning that it's funny how humane is the only word we have for that idea, since so much that's inhumane has been created by us humans. When we talk about the humane treatment of animals, considering the ways we've treated animals for most of our history, what can we possibly mean? Anyway, it's a fair guess that prehistoric humans spent most of the time in awe of something or other. Mountains, oceans, the earth, the sun, and also of big cats with the power to hunt and kill us. Lions, panthers, tigers. Awe is a very special emotion, somewhere between terror and love. And while it can inspire all kinds of superstitious nonsense, the good thing about it is it keeps us humble. For humans, who can be mind-bogglingly inhumane to one another and to the natural world, a little humility goes a long way. Once master of vast tracts of territory in Asia, wild tigers have been poached nearly to extinction. In fact, many species have gone extinct in recent history. In his documentary film Tigerland, director Ross Kaufman, who won an Academy Award for Born into Brothels, follows the efforts of a dedicated few in India and Russia who are trying to save the wild tiger, and with them, a little sliver of much needed awe for the rest of us. Welcome to Think Again, Ross. Thanks for having me. I mean, first of all, yeah, let's talk about tigers. Are they basically like hurtling, the wild tiger hurtling toward definite extinction if no major intervention occurs?
1: Well, they definitely were, but the tiger's actually coming back. And it's because of some of the people who we spotlighted in our film and their efforts and the efforts of a lot of people. And there's an initiative called Project CAT, and they want to double the amount of tigers by the year 2024. So the tigers actually is it's rebounding. It is rebounding. It's, it's At the time yeah.
0: of the, the I mean it's now it's around what is it? Like 5000 how many are living So in the right
1: world? now there are anywhere between 3800 and 4000 tigers left in the wild whereas in the beginning of the 20th century there were 100,000
0: tigers. Yeah. Yeah, and they were mostly the reason for that uh genocide or whatever is basically right hunting, poaching, primarily? A lot of it was hunting and poaching. I mean,
1: uh, it's incredible to see that, you know, certain uh, individuals in India killed 1,200 tigers in their lifetime, 400 tigers, 300 tigers. The numbers are staggering. Yeah. Um, and, But with that said, this film, I really...
0: You're focusing on the conservation, on the people who love the tigers more yeah, than those was, who destroyed them.
1: When, when I was first asked to possibly do a film about tigers and if I had any ideas about it I didn't want to do another poaching film right you know and there's some amazing films about poaching that have done great things and really had a positive effect but I wasn't interested in that I right. didn't know what I was interested in and I went home and told my wife that radical media production company and discovery and Fisher Stevens want me to you know come up with an idea and pitch them and I thought what, and the you're hell? Like, what am
0: I gonna do about tigers yeah
1: Honestly, <laughs> I just said no to myself, yeah. and I was like, I was gonna blow it off. And my wife said, no, you're gonna think about it.
2: You know,
1: it's a good paycheck, and you know, or it might be a good paycheck, and why not at least think about it? So I thought about it a little bit, and then I guess because we were talking about it, my six-year-old son mm. was cutting paper tigers and coloring them, and then picking them up and showing them to me. and telling me all about the tiger. He, he knew facts, which I was sort of astounded by. And then he-
0: I have yeah. an 11-year-old son and like, why do they know everything? It's like, incredible. <laughs> now he's into
1: Bowie. It's crazy. Oh, I'm yeah. like, how are you into Bowie? <laughs> um, but yeah, and I just thought, what if we sort of look at this a little differently? And what if we, you know, concentrate on that childlike wonder mm. and the beauty and the reverence that man has had for the tiger, you know, throughout the ages? and to make something gorgeous and beautiful. Yeah. Like the
0: tiger. Not to overfocus on the killing and the poaching, but it is in a way like I mean to go back to that thing I was saying about awe. It's like the things that scare us for a lot of our history we seem to have had this impulse to like dominate and destroy them when possible as if we could eradicate that fear, you know.
1: For sure. And <laughs> it was to me it was fascinating because, you know, when I was researching and my producers were researching and the tiger is so ubiquitous in our culture. Yeah. And the thing, one of the things that draws us to the tiger is this power, this mm-hmm. power it has. Mm. And, that's the, and that's exactly the thing that's creating its, the extinction of the tiger because people want that power. They, the medicinal qualities of the tiger, the magical qualities yeah. are why we're killing the tiger.
0: Right. We either want to overcome it or we want to somehow ingest it it's amazing how people can like, just kill everything that's beautiful. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do let's do a, a, a quick discography of the tiger in culture. You know, you mentioned William Blake's "The Tiger" mm-hmm. comes up. I thought of eye of the tiger and the primal power of roller skating around in a roller rink in Bethesda, Maryland yeah. to that song when I was 12 and I was like, I have the eye of the tiger. What else? How old are you? I'm 46.
1: I'm 51. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in upstate New York doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, That's so funny. Right? The, eye um, of the tiger. Well, it's yeah. funny when it happens like this a lot where you start doing a film and you see it everywhere. You see the same with tigers. As soon as like it clicked and I said, yes, and we started sort of doing research tigers are everywhere. And what I love, and I didn't really know this, I sort of had an idea, but people love the tiger. Mm. I mean, everyone, you come out, oh, it's my favorite animal, I love it. And I knew people liked it, but I didn't know the passion that people actually have, like individuals.
0: Power and incredible beauty, and they're slow. That's one of the most amazing things. And I guess in a sense, that's a function of power, but there's mm. no unnecessary energy expended. They're just, they move at the rate they they feel like moving at. You
1: know? And then when they want to attack, <laughs> yeah. they attack. Yeah. I know some people like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's For right. Sure. It's a
0: quality we'd, we'd, in some ways, maybe minus the attacking, we'd all like to have. That's, that's <laughs> stealth and power. You know, your film centers on particularly two characters, one in India and one in Russia, mm. who are interesting and eccentric characters and i think in some ways maybe to be i was thinking as i was watching it that maybe to be a lover and protector of an animal species you in a way have to be kind of on the fringes of humanity and i got the sense about both of those guys for sure can for we sure. let's talk about them a little yeah um, <laughs> so
1: either one yeah right? i'll start with uh, our tiger man of russia his name is pavel fomenko yeah and he's a big, sturdy Russian, you know, and at first glance, he's very tough and you know it doesn't say much and, but <laughs> right away i could tell he had a sense of humor <laughs> you know we connected very quickly i mean at a certain like the very first moment of shooting uh, it's a long story yeah i, I want to hear but. well uh, we were at the hotel we were talking to pavel and his wife in russia the first night and they just sort of casually mentioned that oh by the way there's a cub whose mother was killing dogs in the local village we captured the mother now we have to go look for the cub right And I was like, "Uh, we're coming. And it was the next morning, 4 a.m., minus 20 degrees below. You know, I'm in this heavy coat, and I have my camera, and my producers, and I'm getting out of his pickup truck, and it's pretty high, and at a certain point, I was losing my balance. I was like, shit, and Pavel was helping me down. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I jumped in his arms. (laughs) <laughs> and this is uh, this big Russian guy, and I'm I'm sort of short, and um, you know, and he's just he's holding me, and I was like, I hope this is, okay. <laughs> and I just he sort of put me down, and he, and he sort of goes. I like this guy here.
0: <laughs> nice. You know?
1: So that was it. And, but Pavel's so passionate. He works for the um, World Wildlife Fund. His whole life is about the tiger. Yeah. And like I said, he goes out. He looks for cubs. He performs autopsies on tigers to see what happened in terms of how they might have been killed by poachers. And the big thing in Russia is tiger-man conflict. Uh-huh. Uh, Poaching is a big part of it, but it's when a tiger goes into a village and starts killing dogs, or when a tiger somehow makes its way into a village for whatever reason, that's a problem. And that and, happens. And this
0: happens because uh, civilization is it, kind of encroaching on their territory, sure. right? For sure,
1: exactly. And then the other reason, especially in Russia, is because the, the, the Siberian, or Amur tiger, as it's also called, needs, I think it's about 400 square kilometers each tiger. Okay. Individually. Right. So they need a lot of space. their territories don't
0: really overlap, right? Their territories don't overlap.
1: And because there's not as much prey in the winter, Mm. um, they need a lot of space. Whereas in India, each tiger needs about 20 square miles, Uh. square kilometers. But Pavel's incredible. And it was really a pleasure and an honor to spend time with him. And in the end of the film, there is a sort of
0: yeah, we. Difficult can, twist. Can we spoil, do we want to spoil this? I'm okay I don't think we want to spoil okay, it. Okay, let's not spoil it's, it. It's that's pretty, a really interesting twist.
1: It was intense. And, happens.
0: Um, let's say around Pavel's relationship with the tiger for, for sure. <laughs> sure. Yes, exactly.
1: Um, yeah. Um, he has a run-in with a tiger. Let's yeah, just put it that way. yeah. We that's don't a, say anything that's else. A good way to put it. Um, um,
0: but I, I was gonna say, like, so the part of Russia that they're in, like, is this is not technically Siberia, nope. but it's what I, I the, where
1: it's far east Russia. Far east Russia. So if you see Russia on a map, mm-hmm. it's sort of shaped like a big, huge horizontal crescent. Sure. There's China in the middle, yep. and there's North Korea, and where China and North Korea meet in the very, very far eastern tip. Is a city called Vladivostok, right? And uh, the area is called Primorsky Krai,
0: right? Krai. What an, does Krai mean? Or like Forest. Forest. Yeah. Right, okay.
1: um, and it's beautiful. Uh-huh. And Vladivostok's a wonderful city. It's uh-huh. actually a cool, cool little uh, sort of Portland-esque slash Anchorage kind of town.
0: Right in the the middle of this like East Asian culture, so it's there's yeah. gonna be a lot of interesting overlap a lot. going on. and it's two
1: hours from Japan. Mm. Yeah, wow. it's fascinating. And at one point we were in this village that the tiger was killing dogs and we didn't know this but we were too close to the chinese border so mm. the KGB/FSB got wind that we were there and we knew all the rules and regulations but it's russia so you never really know we couldn't go back to the village we had to have a russian cruise shoot it was, oh. it was a whole thing um okay. but it's just fascinating to be in the middle of these sort of three countries as they come together and with that also comes poaching from North Korea and from China.
0: Filmmaking in general, I guess, is always an adventure. But the kind of filmmaking that you're doing, you must find yourself often in unexpected situations or having to well, deal with that's authorities the hope. Or, Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: a hope is you, you know, find you, you run into unexpected situations. It's like you, right. you plan it. So hopefully those moments happen where you would have no idea. And yes. I mean, I mean,
0: and with that, sometimes I would guess like seemingly insurmountable challenges, which maybe you also like. I you know into that too. i'm I'm not sure about that, <laughs> okay, I mean, I know I
1: do these these this job, and I've I'm just to, wondering I've yeah, been to Elizabeth. Syria and Libya during the wars and mm. brothels in Calcutta, the slums in Nairobi, but i I like to stay home and just <laughs> chill, but um, yeah, something sort of draws me to those places, and it's not like I have this complex where I you know I want to go to war zones and stuff, but mm. yeah, there's something about it that draws me and it's a love hate relationship with documentaries because it's. I love meeting people. Mm-hmm. I love spending time with people. Part of me hates picking up a camera and pointing it at somebody. I feel like a parasite. You know, so uh, I'm very... Right. You know, right,
0: on the one hand, you're developing a relationship, and on the other hand, you're trying to extract something that is going to play on, on film.
1: Yeah, for sure. And yeah. It's it's one of those things where every... Mo- like It's interesting. Every single moment that I'm out there in the field, whether I'm with my character or not, I have the camera ready yeah and if i'm talking to somebody in my film i hate to call them characters but if we're sitting here talking right now this is so nice i don't have to think about picking up a camera or a film (laughs) and i love that i love just talking and getting to know people and then i have to pick up the camera but i know it's for sort of the greater good and it's my job so i do it
0: is there a temptation or even a necessity in your line of work to like nudge things in certain directions to get what you're trying, you know, like I, you want something unexpected to happen but do you also have to kind of like game things a little bit sometimes to make, make things happen? Is that a corruption that some filmmakers fall into that you have to navigate ethically? I'm
1: sure I do. There's no way I don't, right. you know, I can't think of anything in particular but the other thing that is sort of nice is that, and I did have a co-cinematographer on this film, Matt Porwall, and he's amazing. He shot Cartel Land Uh. and very talented individual. But there are times where I shoot as well. So my point is this. If I have the camera and I'm ready at any time to shoot, then I don't need to do that kind of stuff as much because I'm just there and I'm ready. And and the key is sort of listening and listening and listening for the film and listening for the story. Every time I sort of do push that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Right. That's not true. It can work, but it's not as
0: good. You'll get you know? something, but yeah. it'll, but it, and some audience members may not recognize it as as the sort of gimmick that it is. But it but but it, yeah. it, it won't, won't have the substance of real life. It doesn't often.
1: Sometimes it, but and it's not like you, like I never set up a scene and right. I never yeah. ask some. like I don't. I don't even ask people to come through the door again. You know what I mean? Like, right. I won't do that. I, for a long time, didn't even want to talk to people. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be... But now I've sort of found a, a rhythm where, you know, I can interject and ask them questions and get people to talk in a certain way. So mm-hmm. maybe that's part of what you're talking you about. You didn't in want a way.
0: to talk initially because you wanted to be like a fly on the wall, just sort of yeah, just, getting like, the real life, as yeah. it were. Yeah,
1: yeah and I've, I've co-directed a, f- a number of times. And you know, I learned from my co-directors. You know, you, you can talk. It's okay to sort of ask questions. Right.
0: Even. What you have permission to do, or what you give yourself permission to do, evolves over yeah. time.
1: And everyone's different, and yeah, that's yeah. what makes all these films different. And you know, i I know so many filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, and everyone's got their thing and their way of working, and it shows in their films. And it's that's sort what of beautiful. makes yeah. each one it's worth art, watching I guess. separately. Even yeah. though I hate to use that word, <laughs> you but, don't um, like
0: the word art. Nope, uh, um, <laughs> not when it comes to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I brought it up, I think we should spend a little little bit of time in India before we dive into sure. the second half of the show. For sure. Which actually may bring us back to this stuff anyway. But So in India, mm-hmm. we're dealing with the legacy of one man. A yeah. uh, man named Kailash Sankla, mm-hmm. who died
1: in 1994. But he was one of the, uh, really the first people to bring the plight of the tiger to the attention of the public, and more importantly, the government of India, specifically Indira Gandhi. Uh, the prime
0: minister at that time and um who as you point out in the film was doing a very unique balancing act of rapidly economically growing the country while at the same time trying to push an ecological agenda absolutely
1: she was she was incredible uh in trying to find that balance and you know at times she did and at times it was more difficult but Kyla sankla was an incredible force one of those people who just went out into the jungle for weeks at a time, right. counting tigers, spending time with tigers, studying tigers. I mean, he's also a pain in the ass. You know, yeah, people, everyone pe- said People didn't times. like him. Yeah. You know? yeah, not to, people, he was difficult because he was so driven and so passionate. People came second, tigers and, and nature and the forest came first. Uh-huh. But with that said, he's, he's an incredible person, but we also followed his grandson and his great-grandson. Um, his great-grandson, who's 13 years old, he was what I needed to tell that story from a child's perspective.
0: And he's be- it's beautiful to see. <sighs> Thank sort you of, so much for saying that. No, it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. And it's beautiful to see the, the legacy of that, of his great-grandfather yeah, playing right. out in him. He's so well-educated and he's so connected yeah. to, to that world. And this know? is a
1: kid who's lived in the forest all of his life. Yeah. He's a sweet, sweet 13-year-old. His passion is nature and the tiger, and um, it's infectious. It's absolutely infectious. And that was a big part of what I was going for. And it's funny, because you start making these films, you have these ideas, and you think, oh, I have this idea. And for me, it's like it actually happened, like we made it happen. Mm, And you, mean very, the, you mean the idea the, the that child this child would be yeah, the one? or yeah. the, the, telling the story from a child's perspective. Right. He was very shy at first, so I was really concerned, you know, and I didn't have much time with him, but it. it's great because I my job allows me to really create relationships very quickly and they're real relationships. I mean, I keep in touch with my people that I film a lot of the time.
0: So that's got to be really gratifying to have that in your life as an extension of this work that you're doing. It, you know? It's absolutely
1: gratifying. Yeah. I mean, I'm in touch with some of the kids from Born Into Brothels, who are now in their 20s and 30s. People from uh, the human rights investigators that I worked with in Syria and Libya, I'm in touch with them. And, I mean, there's so many different people. and. It's a little schizophrenic at times, I feel like I just want to live my life, mm. you know what I mean um
0: yeah, you're right, right, well, and especially because both in the case of they're, they're very different scenarios, but both in the case of the world of tiger conservation and in the world that you're looking at in born into brothels where which briefly for the audience, you know, you have children born into boor, children of prostitutes in Calcutta. That's right. Many of whom themselves will likely become prostitutes. And then a photographer, Zanabrisky. Zanabrisky, yeah. who is teaching some of them photography and using that ultimately as leverage to help fund their education, help them out of that situation. Yeah,
1: we really worked hard to. Uh you know, help them, not save them, help them at a certain point. But more importantly, you know, once again, like I, I guess I have a thing uh, that I love the idea of a child's perspective. And these kids were so full of joy in Calcutta. They're just wonderful. And, you know, the film, is not depressing it's not like this depressing documentary so, so much of
0: it is about just their energy around the photography yep. around what they're they're doing and learning you and,
1: know? and yeah. them learning to express themselves through a medium that they never would have really known about and that was beautiful and same with the e-team um film i directed with katie chevney you know just bringing out the humor yeah i mean born in the brothels there are hilarious moments Tigerland there are I oh, think they're hilarious oh, moments, sure, yeah. you know like, for me and same with E-Team the story about human rights investigators who go to Syria and Libya there's humor in the darkest places and it's important to remember that and not just dwell on the difficult destruction and you know there's such sadness but within I mean that sadness a, is beauty I liken sometimes filmmaking to going into a bar if you go into a bar or a party and someone comes up to you and they just start telling you their problems mm. their issues <laughs> right you're going to run for the door <laughs> right, right? Right, 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 right but if someone comes up to you and they sort of you know make a little joke or they make you laugh in some way or say something interesting then you're in. And then if that person then goes into some, you know, stuff that they're going through, you'll listen to them.
0: Yeah. Once there's that a connection of, established, you yeah, uh, yourself in their eyes, you know. Yeah, and you get to know
1: somebody. Yeah. You, you personally connect yeah, with them. Yeah. And so there's a lot of films that just concentrate on the issue. I just love to get to know people, and I try to do that for my audience. Too. Yeah,
0: I think I think you do it beautifully in uh, the two that I've seen, Born in uh, the Brothels thanks. and Tigerland. I think this is time for us to shift to the second kind of um, spontaneity-inducing part of our show. There was plenty of spontaneity here. But uh, this is where the video production crew of Big Think have picked a couple of clips from Big Think's interview archives on subjects unbeknownst to us that we will watch and take them as springboards for the rest of our conversation.
1: A little scary.
0: This is primatologist Frans de Waal, and I don't even have any idea what it's about. So we're all going to find out together.
3: When people lose control, like a tantrum, and start throwing stuff around, um, like there's a famous scene of, I think it's Steve Ballmer, who, who, who lost two of his main engineers to Google, and... Throw chairs around in the office or something that kind of descriptions exist or Nixon when he lost his position and started beating the rug and, and beating his own head. And these tantrums that people sometimes throw that usually has to do with frustrations or loss of power, or or at least the threat that their power is going to be diminished by somebody else. And so it's um, a very frustrated. It's a tantrum. It's, it's like it's like a two-year-old basically, a grown man who turn into two-year-olds because they don't get what they want, and and that happens, and that happens in chimpanzees also. That um, that uh, not only the tantrums of kids. They happen all the time, especially at, at weaning age when that's usually for for chimpanzees at four years of age, the mother starts to push them away from the nipple and. And then they throw enormous tantrums and make an enormous amount of noise, but also uh, in adults. And so adult males will throw these tantrums, for example, uh, when, they, when they lose their power. So, so you're the alpha male and all of a sudden there's a, a challenger who doesn't take you seriously anymore and throws rocks at, rocks at you and then at some point if you cannot handle all the pressure. Uh, they're going to throw these tantrums and, and they try to get the sympathy from the group who then s- may support them. And they, I think they hope that they will be supported back into their position, although that almost never happens. So so that happens. And females may throw tantrums when, they, um, when their relationships are threatened. Actually, females are not so much into the power business in the sense that um, since their power often depends on on ancient personality, there's not much they can change about that, I think. Uh, and, and they don't just drop from power, that almost never happens. So, but females have close relationships and if they have a fight with a good friend, that's where they become extremely emotional. If they have a fight with a rival, with a female that they don't care about. They're, they're very little emotion, they're very cool about that, that you know, I just beat her up and, and, and I don't look back at it. But if it is a good friend, Uh, that they are close to and they have a disagreement with that friend, that is very upsetting clearly and they have a very strong emotional response to it and they they very often and almost, I've never seen exceptions to that, they very often then come together and they reconcile and they make up and things like that.
1: If this turns into a therapy session, just let me know and I'll stop. First of all, I always go back to the primal. You know, There are so many interactions we have in day to day. And and if you just go back to the primal nature of what it is to be a human and what it was to be a human, that's why I love this.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And in I, a sense, I would think being behind the camera lens as you are, it gives you a certain distance on human yeah, behavior yeah, was, where you're like...
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say in, in Calcutta, with the kids in Calcutta, you know, their survival techniques, and they were all different, but... You mentioned see, humor,
0: and maybe that's one.
1: Yeah, I wonder how funny cavemen were and cavewomen. Well,
0: but, uh, primates have humor. He, yeah, he actually no, for finds sure. a lot of examples. Yeah. No, I
1: love that. Um, <laughs> but um, tantrums, there are many times. <laughs> I'd love to throw a tantrum, and sometimes I do. And I love being compared to a chimpanzee. Um, you know, a child I can deal with, but a chimpanzee, oh my God, that's, that's awesome.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, it's funny because right now I'm going through something and I'm trying not to throw tantrums. You know, I'm trying to be an adult about it. But this is great because, once again, to take it back to the primal mm. and sort of understand it in that way helps me.
0: Was tantrums mm. something you know? Was that always you know? Since yes, I mean we tantrum. Are, I, it's not like gonna, I throw tantrums every we're gonna, day. We're going to turn but, this know, we in, all into have a, ther- a tantrum. therapy session, though, no, as, no. as you as you feared. You know, when you were younger, like, was there a was were you one of these people where it's comfortable, where where that's sort of a default? Like that, if you're invested and passionate in something, you're just like if you get intense and angry about it, you're just going to kind of like let it go like that yeah, or no? I'm
1: sure. I remember I wanted a motorcycle when I was 15. Uh, my mom wouldn't let me get one because my older brother cut his toe off on a motorcycle. Holy crap. Um, yeah, that's a good reason not yeah, to let he, you he, get one. He came home one day oh. and he just sort of walked in the house and he said, Mom, take me to the hospital. And he, she did. Um,
0: With that kind of stoic response three, too, he was like, he was like, yeah, yeah take me to the hospital.
1: He's <laughs> very stoic. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> right. um, whereas I'm not... I cried for three days. Cried. For three days. Yeah. I just, it's fine. I haven't thought about this in (laughs) like 30 years. Yeah. And I I finally got the motorcycle.
0: Okay. So it worked. It worked. It worked. worked. That became advantageous. Positive reinforcement. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, but I mean, and you know, as adults, we always, you know, we get pissed. We get angry.
0: Because I have no idea what I would do. Like, you know, it seems to me that the circumstances one would find oneself in in your profession and specifically in the areas that you're going into the things you're trying to film whatever whatever with changing conditions depending on how well one rolls with the punches I think you could find yourself throwing some chairs you know like does that happen with you or have you been like a reconciler like as a director how do you manage those energies
1: I'd like to say I sort of roll with the punches a lot mm. but you know I'm thinking about certain times and yeah it's, it was it's been tough and you want To get certain things. And it's actually, for me, it's tougher when I have a big crew. Mm. Um, When I'm just by myself or with a producer, it's fine. Like, I know what I'm capable of, I know what I can do. You know, I know there's certain places I want to go and not go, and some things I want to shoot, and just following the story. But it's hard to follow a story as it's happening when you have a big crew. Um, and you. in India, A lot of we, logistics. Yeah. And in things. India, we had a big crew, the, and it wasn't as much of a story where we were following the action as it was in Russia. But So it got tough in India sometimes. I got very frustrated, even though everyone did a great job. And you and know, you're like, I how just, many
0: goddamn trucks do we need? You know, yeah, yeah not think. so much. More I <laughs> I just like, just <laughs> like,
1: can we just, you know, in the morning, you know, people are just hanging out. Not the crew, but... Other, and I'm like, can we just go?
0: <laughs> the sun's coming up. Please? Yeah, because um, you want to make the thing. You want to get there yeah, and get the and story. And there's a lot of just. Yeah.
1: Uh, how about how about you in terms of like this place and?
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's turn the th- let's let's do the therapy on me. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know honestly. I mean, for real therapy. You here... You seem like a
1: pretty mellow mellow.
0: Well, thought. it's more like this for real therapy here. My mom was kind of a raging person when I was a kid. You know. Mine too. Okay. <laughs> and so as a result, I think I became. A bit more of a reconciler. Like I'm not all that comfortable throwing a temper tantrum, right. but actually, I kind of like sort of need to learn to do that in my quiet way a little more <laughs> as I get older. Learn to know when to throw down because it's a fine balance in this world between mm-hmm. sort of bullying to get what you want and getting run over. You know? Yeah, no, yeah, I know. it definitely is a fine balance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, for me, I'm constantly learning or not learning. You know,
0: right, right, right. So. Yeah, well, and I mean, we are so, you know, in that, in that sense, we are definitely primates. And in some cases, maybe, I mean, I don't know, I'd love to ask friends to all this, like maybe the tantrums are actually effective. You know, maybe in some cases they draw the kind of attention or the disruption that is needed at that moment, you know, and maybe for humans, it sometimes yeah. works the same way. It yeah, got me a motorcycle. Got you your motorcycle, yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, sure. so in the interest of our somewhat tight time, let's jump to the second surprise. Okay. All right. So this video has been titled, It's All Going Down, Why Journalism is Up in Flames. And this is Tina Brown, an award-winning journalist, editor, author, uh, and founder of the Women in the World Summits.
2: Algorithm-based selection is really the death of journalistic editing in every way, because inevitably the algorithm just goes for the lowest common denominator, uh, often very divisive, very sensational bit and that is different from real engagement i mean everyone is going to uh, click on something which says child murderer whatever i mean or hateful politics or you just if the human nature is such that you're going to click on those things you know boa constrictor eats a baby is just the old fashioned tabloid way in a sense of, of catching bait but at the same time, when it's in the volume and the uh, size and the velocity that, that we're seeing now with the digital platforms, that has actually pushed out everything else. And what I think is very, very worrying is that basically marketers have decided they really don't want to be around news because, no surprise, nobody wants to put your, their ad next to uh, a flaming building in Syria. You know, why would anybody want to put their you know their their, their their beauty products and something next to it. They don't want to be next to it. So when you disaggregate uh, stories from from their uh, from their overall context, you're not going to find any any advertisers want to be around the more serious, harder edged kind of content. So for me, that would have been like taking all the great content out of Vanity Fair and only putting the sensational uh, media, you know, celebrity stuff in it. Which really wouldn't have been the product at all that people liked. What people loved about Malady Fair and they like uh, uh, about all the magazines I've done, quite honestly, is that mix of high-low. That you actually are so interested in the piece on on Demi Moore or whatever it is that you then find yourself engaged in it, and and your your curiosity is awakened, and then you go next to that amazing piece of journalism about you know the fall of uh, some big political figure or, or or some interesting essay that you wouldn't normally have read. If you disaggregate those things, people are just going to read the sensational thing and they're not going to read the other. And that is what is so tragic, really. And that is why you keep seeing these huge layoffs that have been happening recently again in media and all the digital platforms that were supposed to have the answers. They're laying off all the journalists that really wrote the content, the real stuff, and instead just keeping the ones who are doing the kind of the lighter stuff, the frothy stuff. They're just firing all the people who did the other. And that is very, very threatening to our whole democracy. I,
1: I do it. I click on that goddamn Trump headline, <laughs> and it fucking kills me. And I, I do it, and I know it's bad. I know it's not doing any good in the world. I mean,
0: if you didn't, I'm not sure what else you would click on because it's all Trump all but the time. That's exactly much, it. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you know, my, I have a good
1: friend, Jeremiah Zagar, filmmaker, really talented filmmaker, and. He has a flip phone. He does not have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the smartest things that one can do in this day and age. But that said, I think, yeah, she's absolutely right. It's interesting, is it? But that's on an ad based world, right? Right. So, and that's a weird, yeah, there's a weird twist
0: there because it was like, okay, the advertisers don't want to be associated with all this grim stuff. But my my understanding is that the algorithm driven news it's not just that it gives us like the hard edged serious stuff mm. it's that it gives us these kind of like distorted yeah. over the top stories of any kind you know right. both right, horrible right. and whatever but yeah
1: I think of Netflix mm. and their use of algorithms and I just wonder because I who knows what's actually and Netflix is wonderful and the, I love them and they've been good to me. But I just wonder if we can correlate that to, you know, what she's talking about in journalism to a model like Netflix and what they do with algorithms and how they put these films out into the world. But in terms of journalism, I feel so bad for journalists. (laughs) It's such, it's so hard. Uh, My wife is a journalist. She does entertainment journalism mostly, but also personal essays and it's hard, it's hard out there to get people's attention.
0: Especially if you're trying to say anything that's like worth saying.
1: Yeah, it's tough, it's tough.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can get people's attention with a few simple tricks. Yeah, way, but, uh, for sure. You, yeah, But you
1: know, it's, uh, not to bring it back to Tigerland. Let's bring it back but, to Tigerland um, and wrap but, it up. But you know, like. hopefully, like I said, I don't know how a film like, like this gets on people's radar. I mm. mean, obviously it's the, it's interactions like this and, but, um. It's pretty incredible to make a film like this. Sort of, We had full creative freedom right. on this. We really did, from top to bottom, which nice. is amazing for a film by a network. And it's great. Discovery's pushing it out there and getting it out to, how many, like 200 different countries on March 30th. That's amazing. Right? That's pretty cool. Yeah, so hopefully this will sort of break through the craziness and uh, attract people's attention.
0: I mean, if anything about Tigers can, it would certainly be this. It'd be cool, I I really enjoyed it. And Tigerland, it will be out by the time this this show comes out and people should take a look. Um, Ross Kaufman, I gotta let you go, but thanks so much for being on Think Again. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about tiger conservation efforts and how to support them, visit https forward projectcat.discovery.com forward tigerland. That's projectcat.discovery.com forward slash tigerland. It is so great always to hear from people who are out there, by the way, listening to the show in your cars, offices, subways, wherever you are. I get roughly one email a week, sometimes two or three, and it really keeps me going for real to hear the ways that you make these ideas and conversations part of your lives. Please come find me at JasonGotts.com. You can email me from there, and if you want, sign up for my email list, which I will one day use to send out occasional updates. That's j-a-s-o-n-g-o-t-s.com. I'll be back next week with something really, truly, completely different in the original sense of that phrase. Hope you can join me.